And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. JT, back with you. Hour number two on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by our good friends, Sam and Ash, our personal injury attorneys. You hear them throughout Lotus Broadcasting. They're available to answer your questions 24-7. So if you get in an accident, call Sam and Ash, the ones I trust, 702-820-1234, or go to samandashlaw.com. I was down at their office a couple of weeks ago for First Friday. What a beautiful office they have right in the heart of downtown off the Arts District. They put a lot of of their energy into that part of the community. They give back in the community. You see their billboards everywhere, and they are a a proud partner of ours. We love Sam and Ash. Go check out SamAndAshLaw.com. Shane Knighty is going to join us a little bit. Uh, He joins us from the Vegas Golden Knights staff, broadcast staff. We'll talk to him about this recent run and what Vegas is doing right. Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated, SI.com. He covers the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to talk to him about the draft and what's happening here from his perspective. He is a fantastic and trusted NFL insiders. And then your phone calls uh, the rest of the next couple of weeks where we're just concentrating on the draft. Yesterday we talked about Carl Joseph. It was a lukewarm warm show. A lot of the fans said, hey, you know, Carl Joseph, I've seen him before. What is he going to do? A lot of other fans were excited about it and thought that he could help out. But no one that called us yesterday thought that Carl Joseph is penciled in as a starter. No one called in and said, hey, we're, we're set at the safety position. I didn't get that at all. I think there's going to be a lot of questions in the draft, where the Raiders go in the draft, what they're going to do there. But when it comes to depth, the Raiders now have depth at safety. See, what everybody has to start thinking about now going forward is that Arnett's going nowhere. Okay, Mullen's going nowhere. These guys are part of the team. They were drafted very high, along with Jonathan Abram, and Carl Joseph is coming back. That puts no fear into anybody in this league. Nobody in this league is afraid of Carl Joseph, John Abram, Trayvon Mullen, and Damon Arnett. Nobody. a matter of fact, they they look forward to that matchup. But what I think is the positives on this side is those players are all young and going to improve. Carl Joseph brings in some depth and stability at the safety position, but he's got to play better than he did as a Raider. And then on top of that, I think the Raider linebackers are going to vastly improve under Gus Bradley, and we know the defensive line. We know the defensive line got a lot better. I am thrilled to talk Vegas Golden Knights, and it was a big win against the Kings. Shane Knighty, kind enough to join us from the Golden Knights broadcast team, their TV analyst. Shane, good to talk to you since I saw you in Tahoe, and we get you as the Vegas Golden Knights are on a bit of a run. How are you? I'm good, JT. Good to talk to you. Yes, uh, saw you in Tahoe. Tahoe. That was uh, that was a great event. That was a great event. I hope they go back again. Tell me what your thinking's going on with the team now. Post-trade deadline, these games have been really tight. They found a way to put a couple of together here, a couple of recent losses. Where are their legs? Where's the mindset of the Golden Knights? I always think it's good to go through some adversity and, you know, maybe a good time to go through it. You don't want to see it here as they're kind of sitting with 15 games left in the season. This isn't where you want to start to, to figure it out. I think they've kind of turned the corner. Um, 
and this is where everything gets amped up. You're meeting the desperate clubs trying to fight for a playoff spot. You're meeting urgent clubs trying to climb the standings and position themselves the right way, and you need to have that. I think the Golden Knights need – I like to use the word urgency rather than desperation. They're not They're not desperate. They're in a playoff spot, a pretty good spot, but they need some urgency if they want to, you know, try and catch uh, Colorado for that number one spot. So, you know, watching the play, uh, I, I've liked the last two games. Uh, I, I, you know, won nothing against Arizona. But that was a team that was, you know, embarrassed the night before, came out, fought hard. I thought the Golden Knights did a really good job defensively, JT. That, you know, they – Allowed 14 shots. That that was it. And nothing to the inside. Uh, I thought, you know, even when they got scrambling away from the game, they didn't break down. They still had some structure to the way they defended. And then uh, last uh, last night's game, a little bit of a slow start. It seemed like they found their legs and then just took off. And some key goals from some key guys. Uh, Tuck had gone 14 games without. He finally, you know, found the back of the net. Stone, 10 games without. He found the back of the net. Been a while for Pacioretty. He had an empty net goal, but... That time, you know, you got to see him rip the puck, uh, fire top corner, kind of vintage patch ready for career number 300 for him. And that was after a game in which he hit, I think, three posts or two posts and a crossbar. So uh, I've liked their game, the ability to win different ways and, uh, you know, just build confidence, I think. And they'll get another boost with the new guy in the lineup, hopefully tomorrow night. Shane Nadi is our guest. Let's talk about Jan Mark coming over and what this means. Was that a message by McCrimmon and McPhee to the rest of the locker room that, hey, we need you to step up and score. We need more scoring here. This is a loaded team offensively since their inaugural expansion year. What did you, what was your takeaway from the move? I think it's just here's another piece, guys. We believe mm-hmm. in you. We're not going to subtract from this group. Uh, which is always a big thing in the room, right? When you're when you got a group of guys, and you've heard it all season, uh, you know that this team, you know how close they are. Everybody gets along, and you know when you have a successful team that has that type of you know group that really believes in one another, you don't want to take away. But if you can add a piece to it, like they were able to do, especially being up against the cap, got creative once again. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon and his staff. Um, they bring in a guy in Matthias Janmark that, to me, really fits the style. Speed, plays straight lines, uh, you know, can play up and down your lineup. Uh, you know, kind of similar to kind of words we heard about when Chandler Stevenson was acquired. And if there's one thing, JT, we've really learned from the Golden Knights and from this organization right from day one, and this is credit not from McCrim and McPhee, but their pro scouting department, their ability to evaluate and then, you know, kind of look at where the curve is for these players to grow. Uh, so not only evaluate, but to, to look ahead and see what the potential is. You can, you can go right down the list, right from picking the team, Carlson, Marsha, so uh, guys like that, Tuck, Theodore, and then, you know, acquisitions like Chandler, Stevenson, you know, even Nosek, Waugh, guys they've brought in, Keegan Colesar. It, just, it goes down the list, and I think Yanmark's another one of those players that can come in here and elevate his game and really fit into the style of Golden Knights. I think, I think he'll be a great player for this team, and they certainly hope so too because uh, it gives them a lot more depth. And, uh, you know, the team they look at is the Avalanche and how they match up. I think this, this certainly helps the team. Shane Knighty is our guest from the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team, one of the best analysts in the business. Tell me about Petrangelo and what we're seeing from him now. Clearly, I'd say it's a bit of a struggle fighting through injuries, chemistry, which he's admitted to. I mean, he's supposed to be a superstar on this team, a superstar defenseman in this league. Evaluate his play so far, and where's the upside coming, and when's it coming? 
I think it's it, you'll start to see it now. I think we're starting to see more and more of it. And yeah, has the season gone the way you'd like? No. Uh, and and you see this a lot with guys that have been in one organization for so long. Especially St. Louis plays a completely different style, the way they're set up than the Golden Knights. So you know the terminology changes from the coaching staff on what you want to do. And uh, one thing we've heard from all the coaches is you know you know how aware and cognizant he is of wanting to learn and understand. Okay, this. Uh, you know, up-tempo, the ability to join the rush, to get into the play, and then it's his reads, a new partner, new teammates, when you've been in one for so long. And, you know, Max Pacioretty kind of had that his first year. I think he just put up 40 points. He had 22 goals when he came to the Golden Knights, and all of a sudden he hits 30 goal mark, gets more and more comfortable as it goes along. And I think Petrangelo was really starting to come along, then he got that injury. You know, first had COVID, came back, felt better, injured, out, He's back now, and, you know, I'm starting to like his game. Yeah, it's going a bit up and down, but there's still things he does that, that are elite in the league for defensemen. His ability to fend off, you know, get away from pressure, to skate out of trouble, to hang on the puck, when to hang on, when to move it, uh, you know, the way he thinks the game. So uh, I think it just, you know, the, the comfort's going to come more and more. And then he's a Stanley Cup champion defenseman, a captain of a team. He knows when you need to turn the switch a little bit more to high getting the high heat and i think you know a lot of these players have that ability that's what makes them special and this is the time of the season as they're getting into the nitty-gritty here winding down and get ready to for playoffs i think you start to see his game turn up wrapping it up with shane Knighty. shane i want to talk about this goalie rotation looking ahead in the playoffs getting flurry more rest and the way flurry's been playing having a great year and what you've seen since robin leonard's come back well, I think, you know, Flurry, what a terrific job he did, Leonard, with uh, the injury. And then since Leonard's been back, and yeah, his numbers have been fantastic. Flurry dipped a bit. I think that's not on the goaltending. I think that was just the way they were playing in some of those games. Uh, not a lot of help. Uh, I, I love the fact that they have these two guys and the ability to go through them. The rotation seems to work. Um, and, you know, and our friend Gary Lawless, he said this yesterday, we were talking, he believes that the rotation should, should stick right through playoffs. Um, I'm I'm curious about that. I, I like the ability to have one guy, but it, it depends who's hot. If he's rolling, uh, whatever guy that is, you know, I, I'm maybe that's just the old school of me. I like to see the one guy roll, whether it's Flurry or Leonard. And if they're hot, let them roll until the other guy. And if he doesn't, then you have that option to bring a guy in. But uh, it'll be interesting what Pete DeBoer decides as they get ready and uh, see if he evaluates them here through the final 15 games before playoffs. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, you can't agree with everything Lawless says, but he's sharp. No, I don't agree with much, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> do, you, do you agree with what he orders at dinner, oh, like the, the wine menu? Do you let him order the wine or the cocktails? Yeah, he's pretty good at that, and, and if I do agree <laughs> with him, I'm not going to admit it. Hey, lastly, I'm on a thread, a text thread. You know, I work at night on another network, and I'm, I always have the games on, and the game brings me so much joy. In my home, my wife, my kids now, it's all about the Vegas Golden Knights and my buddies. When everybody scores a goal, we're on the thread together. When they're trailing, hey, what's it going to take to get them going in the game? And I looked at the overall standings in the league, and there are so many other markets that feel like they can win the cup now. Colorado, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and the Islanders, we know what the Capitals can do. I look at what the Panthers have done this year. I think that Vegas' roster is as good as all of them, if not the best. 
But again, Shane, it feels like a crapshoot again that there's going to be six or seven teams that enter the playoffs, and who's ever the healthiest and hottest is going to have the best chance. How stacked is the top of the NHL, and who do you think's the favorite today to win the Cup outside Vegas? Outside of Vegas? Oh, there's a good question. You know what it is? It's scary. You look at the East, and it's you know it's heavy with the Washington. You said the Islanders, Pittsburgh's rolling, and Boston's trying to fight back. We'll see if Taylor Hall can fight, help them out a bit. And then, yeah, the Carolina, Tampa, Florida Panthers, very dangerous. Ah, and then you look at the north, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the acquisitions they made. I think they're the clear to come out of the north. Um, Tampa Bay still scares me just, just yeah. because, uh, yeah. you know, their their ability to win. I'd say, you know, I think the Golden Knights are as good as anybody. I think the, the two biggest hurdles uh, would be the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I like their matchup against Colorado. I one thing we overlook about Vegas, JT, is how big they are. They are a big team. Yeah, they're fast, but they're big. And when they get on their fourth, like in a seven-game series, if they can wear down that out, the Avalanche, yeah, they have some great mobile young D-men. But there's, if you're going to try and slow them down, you make you force them to play in their own end. And, and you'd be heavy and you'd be hard on them on the floor check. That, that could be a big factor. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, let's let's stick with Tampa because I don't want to throw Colorado yep. in there. I think Vegas uh, Vegas can get by them, so it's going to be uh, very intriguing and exciting to watch it all play out. Shane, last one. They've won three in a row here, and they've got, they've got, they've got some good teams in front of them that they should beat up on. Uh, should I suggest this is the moment now where they just got to start? dominating get a bunch of wins under their belt before the colorado series again build momentum right now on this portion of the schedule 100 percent. That, that, that's yeah. what it's about you do this is this is where you dial it up this is uh, you know you've got to be ready each and every night yeah the schedules it's hard it's hard for everyone right now the, the amount of games condensed um but it's not there's no easy games too there, there's especially this time of year it's not only the teams in playoffs you're out of the playoffs, and I unfortunately wasn't there much, but you're fighting for a job to prove your worth. If you're on you know, those teams, they got L.A. and then they got Anaheim. Like, Not easy, but don't give them a chance. I think this is a real opportunity for them. As you said, they've got to keep pace with the Avalanche. They want to create some more separation from the teams below them. And they want to, this is where you want to hit your stride. You want to hit your stride as a team and as a, in their team game and make sure you're, you're playing the right way heading into playoffs. Thanks, Shane. Great to talk to you again. I'll see you soon. Thanks for coming on. We always appreciate hearing your analysis. Have a great one. I always always appreciate the invite. Take care. You got it, Shane Knighty. Fantastic. Does a great job on the broadcast. Former player and also today the Vegas Golden Knights announced that they will host a month-long virtual blood drive. Uh, Today they made that announcement. The organization will host a virtual blood drive beginning on Thursday, April 15th. The blood drive will last a full month and end on Saturday, May 15th. The team is partnering with uh, Battalion, a nonprofit organization, with the initiative to help ensure a sufficient blood supply and making sure it's available during a time in which the demand is high for all types. So we'll keep an eye on that and help along the way. Shane Knighty was brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore Boulder Highway in Henderson, They have the super deals you're looking for. When we come back, Howard Balzer will join us, our NFL insider. Used to work with him at Sports Fan Radio back in the day. And speaking of Sports Fan Radio, that's where I got my big spot, big shot. And tomorrow, Pete Rose joins us. Pete has a big announcement that's going to get a lot of people to look. 
And also Pete Rose tomorrow, tomorrow turns 80. We'll talk to him on his 80th birthday. How cool is that? You don't want to miss my exclusive interview tomorrow with the all-time hit king, Pete Rose. Gets the snap, rolls to his left field to the Wisconsin 20. Takes the pass, field still with the ball. Fires into the end zone, caught by Hill for the touchdown. 14-yard pass to number 14, K.J. Hill. And Justin Fields rambled to his left and bought time to throw the scoring pass. 30-21, Ohio State. Welcome back, JT, with you as we're brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence whenever I'm talking X's and O's, we have a Remy Martin cocktail. Remy Martin, what a spot they have at the M. As you go to the the Raiders' new Tavern and Grill, just make a left when you walk in and you'll see just Remy Martin everywhere, from their back bar to their private room that you can look out over the pool. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. One of the things that I do every day is I bookmark mock drafts, and I've been doing this for over a decade in my career, ever since especially social media has popped up, you're able to see a mock draft or two, hit save, or I download it and forward it to my email, and then I start collecting them. And I print them out, and I have you know, 10, 11, 12 guys in the industry that I really trust, and gals. There's a few gals there, too, that I look at these mock drafts, and I try to get an understanding of what's going to happen Because the Raiders are picking 17th, and I think the media can get the 17th pick right. After that, it's really a crapshoot. After 20, there are so many trades and teams moving back and teams moving up that it's really tough. If you have the 22nd, 28th, 29th pick, the player's probably not going to be there. But in the past, there's been mock draft insiders who have gotten it right. So the Raiders are at 17 which I've been telling you now for weeks is the seventh pick. It's not the 17th because one through 10 is pretty much set and five of those are quarterbacks. So you can look at it at five and subtract five from 17 and get to 12. And I think with Kyle Pitts, the great tight end being gone and Penny Sewell, the best offensive lineman being gone and Jamar Chase, the best wide receiver being gone, that's eight subtracted. From 17, So you get my point that the Raiders are really picking when the draft begins somewhere between 8th and 10th overall with positional players that are great all on the board. So earlier today, Eric Edholm from Yahoo put out his mock draft, and he's good. And he's been doing this for a while, and he's really sharp. We've had him on in the past, and I have a request to get him in here after this. And it came out this morning, and he really had one of the better ones that I've seen. But it involved trades. And I've been telling you that I believe that the Raiders could trade up from number 17. They could trade up to 15. They could trade up to 11. They could trade up to 13. Whatever it takes if they find the player that they like. So Eric Edholm came out with Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. I won't waste the details there. Everybody's got Lawrence going first. But then at number two, he had Zach Wilson, the quarterback by BYU. He talked about his pro day which was fantastic, and since his pro day on March 26th, nothing's changed. He believes he's solidified as the number two pick overall. Then at number three, Yahoo has Mac Jones, 
which I completely disagree with. I think this could be the end of Kyle Shanahan, and I know that's a screaming, boiling hot take, but I believe that. I think Kyle Shanahan, if he takes Mac Jones, and Mac Jones has no huge upside and he doesn't perform well, Mac Jones could be the next Jimmy Garoppolo, and Garoppolo performed at a high level in New England when he filled in for Tom Brady, and he led the 49ers to a Super Bowl. I don't think that much of Mac Jones other than his leadership and what he did at Alabama, the best team in the country. So he changed his mind. In Eric Edholm's last mock draft, they had Trey Lance in that slot. And then they went around the league, and he believes that most of the league believes, and he has changed his mind that Mac Jones, the quarterback, will go three to the 49ers. Then at number four, Atlanta. Atlanta is one of those teams that could trade out at number four, but they don't want to trade that far back. He has Atlanta taking Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State, fourth. And that would be a really good landing spot for him because he would clearly be the future quarterback behind Matt Ryan, and he get to train under Matt Ryan. And I think that's a really important point. If you have a player, remember, Brett Favre didn't want to help out Aaron Rodgers, didn't want to do anything to help him. He was pretty public about that. And then you have other quarterbacks that don't mind being a mentor for others. We saw that last year here in Vegas where Tua came in, and then he was relieved late in the game by Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Fitzpatrick won the game on that awful Hail Mary right in front of me at Allegiant Stadium. But what Fitzpatrick did is he was hurt when he was put to the bench, but he was a mentor to Tua, and that's a great deal. And I think the Redskins saw that. The Washington Football Club saw that, and that's why they made Fitzpatrick their big move of the offseason. They liked everything about him. But getting back to Atlanta, I can understand because right here Atlanta could take Kyle Pitts, the best tight end, which several mock drafts have him going as high as four. But Trey Lance comes off the board at number four. So that was a bit of a surprise for me because I'm waiting to see Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Trey Lance. And number five, Cincinnati takes Kyle Pitts, according to Eric Edholm of Yahoo. And that makes a lot of sense because Pitts, if he doesn't go four, shouldn't drop past Joe Burrow in Cincinnati at five. There's two ways of looking, and this is a positive for the Raiders. If Cincinnati doesn't take Penny Sewell, an offensive lineman, he drops, which means more of the other offensive linemen drop so the Raiders could potentially get a right tackle. At number six, he has a trade. That went through, and it's Miami at number six via the Eagles, Jamar Chase, the best wide receiver. So Miami getting Jamar Chase out of LSU would get the best wide receiver available, and they would be loaded. Check out the wide receiver room if they take Jamar Chase in Miami. They would also have Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Preston Williams, Lynn Bowden Jr., Lynn Bowden Jr., and Jakeem Grant. Now all of a sudden Miami has a lethal Lethal offense led by the best wide receiver in Jamar Chase. Then Penny Sewell would drop to number seven to Detroit, which is positive news for the Raiders. The best offensive tackle going seven and not five or four pushes everyone back. So Detroit at number seven, Penny Sewell. Carolina at number eight would take Patrick Sertain the second. That would be the best corner in the draft. And that means Carolina would not take a quarterback because they went with Sam Darnold. And that makes a lot of sense. This is when this draft at Yahoo Sports that came out this morning by Eric Edholm gets really interesting. At number nine, Denver would get Justin Fields, 
where I have two other mock drafts in front of me that have either Justin Fields or Trey Lance dropping to the Broncos at number nine. So that would be interesting. The Raiders would have to face Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, and Patrick Mahomes in the division for quite some time. And I like Justin Fields. I think he has a lot of upside. Now number 10, the Cowboys would take the next best offensive lineman, Rashawn Slater. He would come in out of Northwestern. So with Penny Sewell gone and Rashawn Slater gone, the two best offensive linemen are gone in this draft at number 10 before the Raiders pick at 17. At number 11, the Giants take Micah Parsons, the great linebacker from Penn State. Let me stop. This is where I would trade up if I'm the Raiders. I would go from 17 to 11 to get Micah Parsons, and I'd give up a first-round pick. All right, let's get that out of the way. That's what I think of Micah Parsons. So the Giants are going to get the best linebacker at number 11, and the Raiders are at 17. That's too close for me for Mike Mayock and John Gruden not to consider a trade-up to get their star linebacker for a decade and be done with it and just do it. You, you lose a number one. You move up there. You see what else you have to give up in the trade, more than the one, maybe a one and a three. But you get them, and you have a great linebacker, and that's what I think the Raiders should do. That's why I brought this up. That's why I've been talking about it. Now let's get to the Raiders. At number 12 in Yahoo's mock draft today, J.C. Horn would go. He would start immediately opposite Darius Slay, and that would be an upgrade there. So another cornerback off the board. 13, the Chargers take the offensive tackle. Christian Darasaw, who a lot of people think the Raiders will take if he's available at number 17. The Vikings take the edge rusher, Quiddy Pay. I like him a lot, too. If, if the Raiders are at 17 and Quiddy Pay isn't off the board yet, I would move up to get him. You can tell where I'm going here. Number 15, the Patriots, Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddle. 16, the Arizona Cardinals take the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith the wide receiver. Then at number 17, here we go. Yahoo Sports mock draft today. Eric Edholm, Oklahoma State offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins. Let me read what it says about him. For many teams, Jenkins might grade out close to a late first-round pick, early second-round range. But GM Mike Mayock hasn't been afraid to reach for players with a lower league value for what they view as an ideal fit. Jenkins is big, nasty, smart, and competitive and has played four different offensive line spots. For the Raiders, he could be a day one starter at right tackle, currently a big void. All right, let's stop there for a second. He said a lot there in that paragraph. First off, he said he could be a day one starter. I don't want to see anybody drafted at number 17 who might not be a day one starter. So if if Tevin Jenkins isn't a lock to be a day one starter, I don't think Mike Mayock should reach for it. It also says here, Mayock hasn't been afraid to reach for players with a lower league value. I haven't seen that work. So I have a lot of respect for Mike Mayock. I don't want to see him reach for anybody that's not considered a really good player with the 17th pick. If Mike Mayock's going to do that later on in the draft, I have no problem with that. Again, taking a look at where the Raiders select in the draft, you're going to get multiple opportunities. The Raiders pick... 17th in the first round. They have the 16th pick in the second round, which is 48. The 79th pick overall in the third round, they have the 80th pick. So the Raiders have 17, 48, 79, and 80. 
I think they can get a right tackle there. Now, will the right tackle after the first round be available? Will be available to start? Probably not. So that's the decision today. So I just wanted to share and break out this new mock draft because it was one of the better ones. And right before the Raiders pick, a great edge rusher comes off the board in Quiddy Pay. And then right after the Raiders pick at number 17, the Miami edge rusher Jalen Phillips comes off the board. I would rather see the Raiders go defense, 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 defense than a right tackle. I think they can find a right tackle, develop one, get one in free agency, or get one in a trade in years to come. But again, you're the Raider Nation, you're the fans, and if you believe that that right tackle has to come with the 17th pick overall, we're going to continue to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. So that's where we're at. What we're going to do with Howard Balzer today and with my opinion on this great mock draft, what we're going to do every day on Raider Nation Radio leading up to the draft is we're going to have a live draft analyst on, and then we're going to review one of the latest mock drafts. Mel Kuyper came out with his 4.0 today, if you saw that. So we'll give it to you. We'll overwhelm you with draft information in the hopes that you call in and really tighten up your pick. Because when I'm in Allegiant Stadium that night anchoring the draft on Raider Nation Radio, I really want to have a lot of notes from the fans. I want notes from the fans from a fan's perspective on what the Raiders should do. Okay, I don't think you and I are going to make a difference on changing Mike Mayock's mind or making the pick, but at least I want to remember what the Raider Nation is thinking going into the 2021 draft with the Raiders with the 17th pick, and we'll continue to do all of that. Thanks for Remy Martin for teaming up for excellence. Whenever you have a cocktail, think of upgrading to a football cocktail when you celebrate the Raiders. Remy Martin and everything they do for us, a proud partner of the show as we continue on Raider Nation Radio. Seventeen thousand seven hundred and eighty-two for Curry. Dribble drive. Curry goes in, drives the layup. It's up and good. And there he is, Stephen Curry. Now the all-time leading scorer in Warriors franchise history. He shines brighter than the Big Dipper as he passes Wilt Chamberlain into history. Tim Roy on the call. For those listening in the Bay Area, we greatly appreciate you streaming the show. When we see those numbers, thank you. JT brought to you by Meet Up Vegas Wholesale, the highest quality meats at wholesale prices. This is the only way I order meat anymore. It's time to experience the tenderness of a 30-day age bone-in ribeye. Option number 15, the premium 30-day age certified USDA choice reserve bone-in ribeye. Just go to meetupvegas.com. That's meetupvegas.com, code word JT Brick. Not JT the Brick, JT Brick. And you get the deal that I get. And you get the meat delivered right to your door. No more waiting in line at the butcher. No more going to grocery stores and wait, letting other people pick it out. I'm telling you, this has been fantastic. The only way I serve up meat on my grill in the backyard brick is meetupvegas.com. So tomorrow, exciting news. Pete Rose is coming on. It's his 80th birthday. Pete has given me one of the biggest breaks of my career when I co-hosted the Pete Rose Show for a year. He's working now. Pete's 80. He's not in the Hall of Fame. It's, to me, awful. But Pete lives his life, and Pete lives his life 
and he's got a business idea, something he's going to be associated with tomorrow, and we're going to put him on the radio. It'll be interesting. I'm excited about it. I put Pete on the radio about two or three times a year. It's always a great conversation about baseball. Always a tremendous conversation with all-time Hit King. I'm happy he's with us at the age of 80. I'm happy that we're still great friends. And when we get him on, it's always memorable. Pete Rose tomorrow, I believe, when we kick off the show. Really excited about that. Excited to talk to another good friend from our days at Sports Fan Radio, Howard Balzer. Kind enough to join us off the announcement of Julian Edelman's retirement yesterday. Howard, thanks for coming on. And give me a big picture on his career because he played in a hell of a lot of big games and made a lot of big catches. He sure did. And when, obviously, you're part of such a great team, obviously, that, that, that certainly contributes to it. But, I mean, he, he basically played almost an extra season in the playoffs, more than that, with 19 games and 1,400 yards, over 1,400 yards in those games, and big plays. So there's no doubt. And, and what a competitor. A guy comes into the league as a seventh-round draft pick. No one expected much from him at all. And he fashioned a tremendous career and a, and a tremendous role for the Patriots and obviously was a big part of the success uh, that they had over all those seasons. I think it's very interesting as you're a Hall of Fame voter and you know about the old stats of the receivers in the 70s. Cliff Branch, Stallworth, Lynn Swan, Drew Pearson, who just got in. Then you see the numbers explode in the new era of the NFL. And then you got a guy like Edelman who's got some numbers in the regular season, like guys who played in the 70s and 80s, but then he adds up all those postseason numbers. Do you think that this is going to be a deep-dive conversation down the road when he's eligible for the discussion on the Hall of Fame? It's a great question because I think on the surface you say he's not a Hall of Famer. You look at the whole body of work in terms of the regular season, and it comes up well well short of a lot of other guys in this explosion. I mean, when you're talking about guys with a 1,000 receptions plus in their career, and he ends up with 620, uh, guy, guys that they were saying didn't score enough touchdowns uh, but still perhaps got in or were left short because they didn't score that many touchdowns in the 60s and the 70s, and he had 36 in the regular season, another five in the postseason. So on the surface, you say no. The question is, how much does that does those offs help him in terms of that conversation and i'll tell you jp we saw with terrell davis who now granted very short career because of injuries but he did he did have a 2,000 yard rushing season but what really i believe put him over the top when he finally made it to even be discussed in the room as a finalist because there were many years where he didn't make it that far when he finally got in a big part of the discussion was what an impact he had in the postseason for the Broncos, and I think that probably put him over over the top in terms of getting in. I don't know if that happens the same way for Edelman, mainly because there are so many wide receivers in line ahead of him. And I'll tell you, JT, you look at guys like Heinz Ward, who had a thousand receptions in his career, has has been a semifinalist numerous times, numerous times, has never been a finalist. A guy like Jimmy Smith uh, in Jacksonville, who who had a tremendous career but didn't have many big games. He, he hasn't, you know, gotten, gotten noticed. So there's a lot of receivers like that, and yet, and then, but there's still other ones who are, who are there and have been finalists for, for several years, like Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne. And next year, by the way, JT, we have coming up Anquan Bolden, Andre Johnson, 
uh, and boy, there's another one that's escaping my mind uh, right right now in terms of of, of, an, of another guy uh, that that's going to that's that's eligible for the first mm-hmm. time next year. So there's just so many of these guys. I think it's going to be a tough tough road for Edelman. Doesn't take away from what he accomplished, but it's, it's going to be a tough road for him. I think when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Great perspective from Howard Balls of the Hall of Fame voter, also SI.com. So I'm fascinated about this draft. I'm in Vegas. You're in Arizona. For everybody else listening, I think it's very important to understand what's happening historically in this draft. We've seen big quarterback draft class before, and usually what we learn from that is one might be a Hall of Famer, one might be a borderline Hall of Famer, but there's going to be a bust. And a player, maybe like a Sam Darnold, that four or five years into their career, they don't have the ability to stay with the drafted team, and they bounce around the league. When you break down the film on these quarterbacks, after Trevor Lawrence, who do you believe is the most talented next? Is it Wilson, Fields, Jones, or Trey Lance? I, I think the jury's right out on him. I, I kind of think that it's Fields. and But he's, you know, everyone says he slipped, but... I always kind of chuckle at that, JT, because it's who, who's he, who has he slipped in the eyes of? The evaluators who aren't teams, that, that's a big part of it. But you have guys like Wilson, who all of a sudden is being looked at very closely, and Trey Lance, guys who haven't started a lot of games in college. And that's one of the big things. That was one of the big things with Mitchell Trubisky when he was drafted as high as, well, as he was. He only had 13 starts in the NFL when he was drafted uh, second overall uh, by the bears when they, when they traded up. And so that's what makes it so hard to truly evaluate. And you mentioned Sam Darnold, JP, here's a great, great stat for you from 2009 to 2016. There were 22 first round quarterbacks. Nine were first overall choices and none of them, none are with their original team. And 12 of them aren't even in the league anymore. Then you throw in the next three years, and you already have Darnold on a new team, Trubisky on a new team, Dwayne Haskins on a new team. And so that's, that's the thing that makes it hard. So, so much of it is where do you go to? How good is that team? What's the talent around them? But you know, some of these guys aren't going to be what everybody thinks they're going to be or hopes they're going to be because these teams chase quarterbacks. And so that it, But like I said, I think it's unfortunate. I mean, all, all Justin Fields has done everything he could to be in the conversation, to be one of the top guys. And who knows? He, he, if he doesn't go three to the 49ers, which he probably won't, who knows where he might end up being taken. So that's, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. But I, th- I think whoever gets him is going to be getting a heck of a quarterback. Howard Balls or Howard, last one in your long career. Have you ever seen anything remotely close to what's happening with Deshaun Watson. He was the top quarterback in the quarterback carousel, maybe even higher up with the great Russell Wilson. I I would think so when that conversation came up because of his age and his ceiling and upside. And now with all these uh, allegations of lewd behavior and sexual assault, he's definitely in a holding pattern in Houston. And I'm starting to suggest that maybe that was one of the reasons he wanted out of Houston so badly. He know, knew the wolves were at the door, and eventually this could come back to haunt him. What are you hearing around the league from executives, people that are taking a look at him? Because we know he doesn't want to play in Houston anymore, but right now it seems like he's in a really tough situation until his legal problems get sorted out. No, he's absolutely in a horrible situation. And I don't know that he really thought that the hammer was going to come down on this because if he thought it was, 
then going to a new team wasn't going to help him at all. In fact, in some ways, that would make it uh, make it even worse. So it's kind of fortunate in some ways that the Texans were saying, hey, we're not doing anything on this. We're, we're, we want to keep them and all that. And so no trade was agreed to. Now, no team's going to touch them until, until this all gets sorted out. And who knows how long that that might take and what, what will be the true story that comes out of this. And, you know, who, I, I don't even think we know the half of it. And, and you wonder how he didn't get ahead of it when it was starting to come down around him, but perhaps he just never anticipated that it was going to be anything close to this. But just the fact that a guy has had around 40, you know, 40 women that he's approached and had massages with in, in a, year, a little over a year, that's unusual by itself. So something's going on here. What it truly is, I don't know if we'll ever know the true story, but obviously a lot of people have made up their mind about Deshaun Watson, no matter what comes out in the future. Always appreciate your time, Howard. If we don't talk to you right before the draft, we'll be one of the first to reach out to you for an update on the first and second round. Thanks so much for doing this. Sounds good, JT. Anytime. Take care. Thank you. Howard Balzer, always great having him on. We will see him at the Hall of Fame this summer when Charles Woodson and the great Tom Flores get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, Howard's the first guy I've had on since the Deshaun Watson story became big that summed that up nicely. He's had massages with 40 different women. 40, allegedly. That's insanity that he would put himself at risk with that and behave poorly or badly, or if it's even worse and the allegations are true, uh, several cases of sexual assault that haven't been proven yet. So Deshaun Watson's not the guy we thought he was. He's made a lot of bad decisions that could haunt him and cost his career, and Rusty Harden's going to have to work really hard to defend him and get him out of this. Big Al in San Francisco, good to hear from you, Al. How you been? I'm JT. I'm good. I'm doing good. Good. Nice day in San Francisco. Enjoying listening to the show online, so um, it's all good. But I wanted to kind of call in. You know, I was, I had the opportunity to watch history last night, and watching Steph Curry, not just because he went for fifty-three, and that's the third time this year he's, he's surpassed fifty, but he passed Will Chamberlain. Okay, nobody passes Will Chamberlain. Will, Will Chamberlain is the greatest you know big man ever to play basketball, and he is now the number. You know, uh, Steph is the number one all-time leading scorer in the history of the Warriors. And it was just interesting because, you know, you had all the basketball operations people there, and then you had the broadcast people there, and then you had maybe 30 family and friends there. For what, what I mean, if we were in normal times, that place would have had 20,000 people and they would have blown the roof off it. But there was, it was just very different because there was just nobody there. And next, I think it's next week. The Warriors are allowing up to I think thirty percent people back in the in the building, and I really hope that they that they can go back and start replaying some of the great moments that everybody has missed this year because it was just like this is it, it was pretty monumental, and there was nobody there to witness it. You know, it's interesting, Al. Uh, you've done it because you know what you're doing with the Warriors and with me with the Raiders when I'm in the building and there's no one there especially for the home games other than small media, and there's no friends, there's no family, there's nobody there, you never get used to it, right? I mean, I enjoyed my opportunity with the team, and I never got used to being in an empty building. When the game was going on, and with the Warriors, I am shocked 
that they don't have more fans in there yet since what Joe Lacob and everybody wanted to do with the ventilations and COVID protocols and all of that. Why is it taking so long to fill up that arena? It has nothing to do with uh, with Joe Lacob or the Warriors. All they have, all we have to do is point to City Hall, yeah. take a little run up the Parkway, and go to uh, Sacramento and point at the, you know, at the, you know, at the, the government. Governor. Is this? It's way beyond their control. I mean, it's been you know the way that COVID has been handled here has been ultra conservative, um, and you know we we could all argue whether that's good or bad. I don't really think that's the, you know I don't think that's for this yeah. discussion. It's just um, there's nobody. There's been nobody there. You look around at other arenas and there's people there. You know they're spread out. It all seems to have been working, and it's been working for a couple months now, even maybe even longer in some some spots, but. It was just kind of, a, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I walk around that arena every game and I'm at every game, home and away. We do it off broadcast, mm, yep. off monitors, or I'm watching it in front and there's just nobody there and you never get ever get used to it. Thank you, Big Al. Thanks for sharing that on an historic night. Thank you. Steph Curry breaks the all-time Warriors scoring record and no one's in the building. Imagine that for a second. Imagine that. It was similar to what Tom Brady did when he came to Vegas and beat the Raiders and he combined for five touchdowns, and there was no one in the building other than all of us in the fourth deck. Broadcast team, some of the Raiders media, some of the national and local media here. And you look around and a day, uh, you know, Brady throws four touchdowns and runs for one, and no one sees it except for those on TV. What a rough night. Steph Curry hits a milestone. They put all that money. I was at the ground opening. When they built the Chase Arena, they had the grand, uh, the grand ground opening, which was crazy. They had these giant earth movers dancing to music. Never saw anything like that. And I never would have thought we'd be living in a time where that arena would open in San Francisco and no one would be inside. And we know that here in Vegas with the Legion Stadium and hopefully more people getting ready to go to T-Mobile for the playoffs. The one interview that stays with me the most is when Bill Foley, the owner of the Knights, told me, JT, I want to be sold out by the playoffs. Well, the playoffs are right around the corner, and we know the Golden Knights are going to have a lot of home ice, and I just don't know how they're going to get it to this small number and just get that to sold out. we got to get it sold out. More vaccines, the protocol. T-Mobile's getting practice every game on how to keep everybody safe. And I'm encouraged that it's going to happen, but a lot of the news on COVID has not been encouraging this week especially in the state of Michigan and a lot of the other spots where we were hoping for sports to come back, and now everything is on pause. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. Really unique, different show today. Travis Sykema with his new mock draft. Howard Balzer on Julian Edelman. His opinion on the draft. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate. And Shane Knighty, one of the broadcasters who join us frequently from the Vegas Golden Knights. Big show tomorrow. It's all supposed to be Pete Rose. Pete Rose is going to join me, and Pete lives in Vegas. He'll be in L.A. tomorrow. He's having a press conference with the new venture that he's getting behind, and he wanted to come on with me first. I said, no problem, Hit King. So we'll do that tomorrow and stay focused on the draft and get you all the Raider information. Now, there's two drafts that came out today that had Micah Parsons, the linebacker, drop into the Raiders at 17. I love that all day long. Head on out to PTs for happy hour. Talk the draft, talk football. Watch the Golden Knights whenever they're on PTs as they fuel the monologue. And I wrap up the show thanking them for their support. Have a great night, everybody.
good day, you guys.